You're listening to the Inner Child Podcast. What is up, my besties? I have a special treat today where we're going to be talking and having a pretty difficult conversation today about eating disorders, body image, losing weight, diet culture, all of that stuff. All of these tricky topics that some of you might be struggling with or dealing with in your own lives. So I invited my good friend, Jordana, who is a psychological nutritionist, hypnotherapist, and one of the most sought after eating behavior experts who's been featured on multiple media outlets, podcasts, etc. And she has quite a story of her own. She is someone who grew up with childhood obesity, body image issues, developed a drug problem as a result of her own eating disorder and managed to overcome and heal from all of that throughout her life and now has helped over 350 women take a very holistic approach to diet and eating that is all based on self-love. She's absolutely incredible. This was a very mind-blowing conversation, and it's such a treat and honor to be able to have Jordana on the podcast. So without further ado, please welcome Jordana right after this intro. Hi, I'm Gloria Zhang, and after 10 years of struggling in toxic relationships, I attracted the love of my life by healing my inner child. This podcast is your weekly dose of my expertise as a therapist and dating relationship coach for high achievers. Learn tips to overcome low self-worth, emotional baggage, and childhood trauma so that you too can step into your power and attract the love you desire. Welcome to the Inner Child Podcast. My girl, Jordana, welcome to the Inner Child Podcast. How are you doing? Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much. I'm great. Yeah, Jordana and I, we actually got to meet, was it last week? I think it was just this Friday, was it not? Yeah, yeah, it was just <laughs> last week. So we actually met inside a women's business mastermind and realize that we live around Toronto along with one of our other friends. So it was really cool to meet up and get to know you in person, Jordana. Can you tell us about what you do and who you help? Yeah, for sure. So I'll start with what I do. So I'm a psychological nutritionist, which is a pretty niche specification. So what I do is I really help people overcome any kind of like disordered eating behaviors, but I really niche into overeating behaviors. So eating psychopathology in the form of overconsumption. And how I do that is by really addressing like, what are the motivations behind why people eat instead of obsessing over what we should eat? Because I think that we can't deny that we are in a massive, massive epidemic of obesity and obesity related disorders. Like I think the latest statistic in the States is like over 40%, like that's like 44% of people are obese. And this is clinically obese. This isn't just like a little bit overweight, right? And so I think we all know what's healthy and what's not. The thing is, like, when we get to that level of obesity, it's like, why do we choose the unhealthy thing anyways? And just based on my history and my own personal story, I became so curious about this, about understanding the motivation behind human behavior. Thank you so much for that beautiful introduction, Jordana. What I love so much about your content in your work is really that holistic approach and going 
a few levels deeper than just looking at, oh, what's your diet? What's this and that? And one of the things I actually wanted to chat with you today is kind of untangling the body image piece, right, with the obesity epidemic. Because something I've kind of noticed is it's difficult to talk about the subject, right, without bringing in women's sense of worth, like the shame that comes with eating and eating disorders. So yeah, what's that untanglement been like in your work when you're talking about these issues? Yeah, it's definitely a very controversial topic right now especially because of the whole body positivity movement, which I mean, of course, we're so pro body positivity in my world. And the way that I see it is we want to love our bodies so much that we treat them well. Right. And I think that of course we all come in different shapes and sizes. It's not to say that like we need to all lose weight to fit into one specific archetype of what women should look like. I think that people really do know if they're treating themselves well, or if they're self-sabotaging or using an unhealthy coping mechanism. And that's really where this work kind of comes in. And so it's never that we want to lose weight through restriction or self-punishment. And it's always that we want to like truly, truly love and care about ourselves so much that we're not reaching for any unhealthy coping mechanisms that have detrimental impacts on our health. Yeah, that's so beautifully said, Jordana, and I'm totally with you on that 100%. I know that for you, you have come from a lot of your own eating challenges, right? From childhood up until now. Yeah, I'd love to hear more about what your journey was like, because I'm sure that there's a reason you ended up doing this work that you do now. Yeah, absolutely. So my story started when I was really young. So this was quite some time ago, obesity rates were not nearly at where they are now. And I was the only obese kid in school. So like when I was a child, I had childhood obesity. And it started in my home. So my mom is an Italian chef, and she is obsessed with food. It's her love language. And so you feel good, eat, you don't feel good, eat. And it was kind of her way of giving me attention and care. And so my mom really busied herself with and this isn't to put blame on anybody, but my mom really busied herself with cooking all day long. And when I would eat, it would be kind of like our time together, it would be this moment where she actually got to spend time with me. And so I was obese as a kid. I was the only obese kid in class. I was bullied a lot. I was made fun of for my size. And when I was eight years old, I was playing this game with um, tag and I tagged this boy I had a crush on. And in front of everybody, he just said, fatty caught me. And it ruined me. (laughs) I remember that moment. Like it happened yesterday down to the smell of the penny he was wearing in the gym. And so anyways, after that moment, I really kind of dedicated myself to, I'm going to lose weight. Like I don't want to be different from everybody else. And so what I did was I went home and I basically just starved myself because I didn't really know what else to do. And I lost quite a bit of weight at that age. It was like eight. And I received a lot of reinforcement and validation from the people around me. So everybody was like, oh my gosh, now we can see your beautiful face. And my parents were like, oh my gosh, you're growing up into such a beautiful woman. And all of a sudden I had all these friends. And so that really just taught me at a young age that being thin meant I was lovable and being overweight and my natural self was unlovable. And this just spiraled into decades of disordered eating. And because as soon as I would go to start to eat, I would be fearful that I would be gaining weight. And so then I would have like moments of binges and restrictions, which eventually led to substance abuse. So I was using substances to keep my weight down. 
And when I was 21 years old, I was addicted to cocaine. I was kicked out of university. My parents were like, you have to come home. I switched from cocaine to alcohol and I got pregnant. And that pregnancy just like saved my life because I couldn't use my substances anymore. But it became very apparent to me that the way that I was using food in that pregnancy was very similar to how I'd been using substances in the past. And so I was like, I'm going to get down to the bottom of my eating disorder. I'm going to become a nutritionist. And so when my son was nine months old, I went to school to become a nutritionist. I graduated as valedictorian. I was hired right out of school to work with a medical doctor. We grew this beautiful obesity clinic. But it was there that I really saw myself and my patients. Like, it's the same thing, Gloria. You know, nobody wakes up and says, I want to be overweight. It's just not a choice. And so I became so interested because I was handing out meal plan after meal plan. Nobody was following it. Nobody was losing weight. And so I became so interested in understanding human behavior. So I went back to school to pursue further education. So again, like I had to start all over again. So we had to start with a bachelor's in behavioral psychology and then to go on to my master's and my PhD in neuropsychology. And that's where I'm at now. So I'll be in school probably forever, but my entire practice was really rooted in this like brain behavior activity. Yeah. Girl, I just need a moment to appreciate you. <laughs> I've known you all this year and I didn't know all the details about your upbringing. And I mean, thank you so much for the willingness to share this. That really struck a chord with me on a very deep level. And I know that for others listening, they're going to feel the same way. But you've walked walked the what's the phrase <laughs> the walk the walk talk the talk but the words is to me so you have seen on both sides what that journey looks like you've experienced people treating you differently right people reinforcing behaviors that society might deem to be good right but in disregard for your health and how you've made that into your life passion. That's just incredible. <laughs> I just wanted to say that. Yeah, thank you. I think that once I had really started to understand the nervous system and really honestly dive into my childhood and understand like some of the things that I just accepted as a child, you know, the limiting beliefs and really kind of work through that inner child. That's when I actually started to heal my relationship to food, which is why I was so excited to be on this podcast because with all of the work I do with my clients and even with myself, like it always comes back to the inner child. Like sometimes my clients like laugh and roll their eyes because I'm like, talk to the inner child. And they're like, for this too, like, yeah. for everything. <laughs> so, it's just exactly. such a beautiful thing that we get to do once we're kind of older, look back and like reparent and all that fun yeah. stuff. Yeah, exactly. I'm so with you on that. You know, I'd love to ask you about the element of control when it comes to eating. So just from an example of my work, I've had women who worked with me when it comes to the toxic relationship piece. And one of the things that we've uncovered is, you know, certain women who have experienced abuse in the past or sexual abuse almost unconsciously hold on to weight, right? Almost as a defense mechanism. And once they realize that, it's like something clicks in their head, right? Where the weight literally becomes a form of protection for the body. And that really helps to remove the shame from the whole story. And I've noticed that in a lot of popular toxic diet culture, there's been so much around control, like controlling what you eat, obsessing over your weight, the, the numbers, etc. What's your take on that? And how do you work differently 
Yeah, I would say, and I'm just going to throw a statistic out there, like don't, like, like I haven't actually, <laughs> but I would say probably about 80% of my population has had experiences like sexual abuse, sexual assault, either from a family member or somebody completely outside of their home. But it is so, so unbelievably common that the body just naturally wants to create a literal physical barrier, like a protective barrier. And so these are two kind of different concepts in my mind. I do believe that when the body does that, we look at it from like just a basic neuroscience perspective. There are two states of being, right? There's growth and there's fear. And as soon as a trauma like that happens, we almost naturally kind of gravitate more towards being constantly in fear. Like it's almost like we're on high alert all the time. Like that's kind of what like very simplified version of trauma. And when we're in that state, what happens is the body is like, oh, we got to store everything because like we're in danger. And so even if we take the sexual assault piece out, if there's been any kind of trauma, which is why we need to work on the trauma stuff, the body goes into store mode very, very easily. And so part of the work here is teaching the brain to like feel safe so that it can then begin to like let go of some of the excess weight. But so that was kind of that topic. And now I just want to talk about control a little bit. This was like one of my biggest things because it's not just in food. Most of my clients, as well as myself, like they're all very type A personalities. Like we're all overachievers. It's like, I need to have control. OCD tendencies show up a lot. And the thing with control is that like, what's the fear, right? Why do we feel like we need to have control? Well, the fear is usually we fear we're going to lose control, right? And so if we're afraid we're going to lose control. And so then we try and control everything. But if you think about a bomb, like I want you to think about a ticking time bomb, right? It's under a lot of pressure. And the only potential for it to blow up and lose control is because it's under pressure. So all of that control that we're trying to have around food and whatever is adding pressure. It's a judgment. We're adding pressure. Oh, I didn't do this right. We're adding pressure, pressure, pressure. And then there's the potential for the loss of control. So the way that I view it is that actually when we take the judgment off, when we take the pressure off and we stop trying to control everything, then we kind of have the freedom to explore okay, what feels good with my body? What does not feel good with my body? And until the beautiful brain stops trying to control and manipulate only 800 calories of this, only 80 grams of protein, like it's not the brain's job for the body to tell it when it's full and when it's not. But we're so used to following these really specific diets that kind of create a disconnection between what our body truly needs, between that intuition, right? And the brain tries to take control. And the more it does that, the more disconnected we feel and the less likely it's going to be for our body to let go of what it doesn't need because you're never really listening to it. And so this whole control factor is something I deal with a lot with my clients and it's so hard to get people to break those patterns. But once they do, it's like a light switch goes off and they're like, oh my God, for the first time in my life, I'm free. I don't have to think about this. It's amazing. It's a beautiful process. This is so interesting. You know, I'm just going to make this connection here. So it seems like Whenever I interview esteemed guests as yourself, there's always something that links to control. So we had our money coach, Nadine Zumut, on the podcast a few months ago. She was one of my clients who talked about how strict budgets also seem to create the same effect, right? It's when we try to over control things, it tends to backfire on us. And it's really cool that it's coming up here with the diet as well. How do you work around that when it comes to helping women let go of that control, emotionally regulate when it comes to food? Oh, that's a really hard question to answer because it's so different with everybody. And this is why it is such a bio-individualistic approach. But 
ultimately, I think that the reason why the control exists is because they're afraid, right? They're afraid of gaining weight. And when we really break it down, like it's actually very hard to gain a significant amount of weight in a short period of time. So most of the time people are stepping on the scale, they're seeing their weight fluctuate and they're freaking out. They're like, oh my God, I gained two pounds yesterday. Like today I better (laughs) rein it in. I got to control everything. And when we use a bit of the Socratic method here from a very, very, very general place, it's like, is this really true? Did you eat a surplus of 3,500 calories for multiple days in a row to actually build a new fat cell? When the answer is no, then we can let it go. And so ultimately how I get clients to kind of let go of this control factor is I straight up ask them like, okay, you've been trying to control your diet for your entire life. How's it going? Like, is it really working? And they're like, oh, it's not working. I'm like, okay, can we work on letting this go then? Right? Like, as if you've been trying to control it all up until now, you have not reached where you want to be. This is not something that's working. And so I do not like the term intuitive eating very much because ultimately that's what we're doing, right? But the qualms that I have with intuitive eating is that when I was struggling with binge eating disorder, if someone were to ask me like, we'll just do intuitive eating, I would look on social media and I'd see all these coaches, well, just intuitive eating, intuitive eating. And I'm like, intuitively, I want to eat a whole box of donuts. And that's that, (laughs) right? And so until we create that connection, until we reconnect the intuitive processes, the autonomic nervous system with our actual true and full, like true hunger and full signals, it's very hard to eat intuitively. But the first step is to create that openness around, okay, controlling it so far hasn't worked. Can I just take my hands off the wheel for a second and see what happens? And so I find that with my clients that really struggle with control, it's about kind of reframing the process to come at it from a place of curiosity rather than like judgment. Because the reality is like, they don't know what works and what doesn't, or we wouldn't be here. And so it's like, okay, you engage in a behavior where you think you ate a little bit more than typical. Like, can we get curious about that rather than thinking, oh my gosh, I'm bad, creating an identity around it. I'm going to gain weight, all this stuff. Can we be like, hmm, interesting. What led to this behavior? what am I feeling right now? Right. And that curiosity kind of takes the pressure off and then allows them to let go of some of that control factor. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. And I love that. It's absolutely tailored to the person because it sounds like it is kind of based on what stories they've been told, right. And how they were conditioned growing up. I think I really like the science that you bring into this as well, because as I mentioned earlier, it is really hard to talk about the subject in this day and age, right? Because of all the shame wrapped around the self-worth piece. So would you mind even just giving us a definition of what obesity actually means? Yeah. And you're going to hate this definition because I hate it, hate it, but... (laughs) Scientifically, if we look at the medical system, obesity is technically a BMI of over 25, usually over about 30, right? And so if you were to go into a little BMI calculator, you put your height and your weight in and you would see where your BMI is at. And if it's over 29, 30, like anything over 29 is overweight, anything over 30 is technically obese. Now, this is very problematic because we are all built so differently. So when I look like emaciated. Like when I look so unbelievably thin, my BMI is around a 24, 25. Whereas for my best friend, who's the exact same height as me, her BMI is close to a 20, right? And so there is like, in my definition, I don't love to follow the scientific BMI structure, but I think that if you guys are listening to this, you know, if you're holding on to more weight than you would like, and you know, if it's 
in an undesirable way, or you know, if you're like self-sabotaging or using food as a coping mechanism, if you're overeating, not because you're truly hungry or truly full, if you're overeating, because it has become this addictive tendency. And those are the clients really that you want to focus on. Like I do have people that come to me that have 10 pounds, maybe that if to lose. I'm like, that's not my client. Like I actually don't touch that just because it's not really what we're doing here. Yeah. I see what you mean, right? It sounds to me, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds to me that it's more about how you feel about you. And I think you're right. You know, I think when people are in a place where they're not taking care of themselves, they know. And I think having an exact number attached to that, that doesn't really tell the full story. I wish I knew you in my early 20s. <laughs> and I've shared this story a few times with clients, but maybe on the show. When I was struggling with my relationships, and any time someone broke up with me or something terrible happened, I would go to the store, buy this giant McCain's Deep and Delish cake, <laughs> and just eat the entire thing all in one sitting. And I would do that like every weekend. <laughs> so I had this almost like invisible binge eating disorder. Physiologically, my weight doesn't change that much, but I was very, very unhealthy and so much yeah. shame attached to the eating. So I can very much resonate with that. So luckily that was a long time ago. How do you work with the shame and the deeper unworthiness feelings? Oh yeah, because that's actually what it's really about, right? Because here's the thing. If you look in the mirror and you're like, oof, I'm so fat or I've gained so much weight or I don't like what I see. You think that that would change your behavior. You think you would look in the mirror and be like, yikes, I don't like what I see. Let's go to the gym, right? But actually it has the opposite effect because if you look in the mirror and you don't like what you see and you start to like create this like shame or whatever around yourself, your daily behaviors match your deepest beliefs about yourself. So if the identity is like, I'm a failure, I'm awful, I'm not good enough, not whatever it is, right? Your behaviors are going to match that mentality. And so when you were getting broken up with or like whatever you were dating and you're dating, like you probably didn't feel very good about yourself. And then what you did in response to that was you self-sabotage because that's the level of worthiness that you believed you deserve. And it's a very interesting thing with food because we need food to survive. So we can't just like be absent from food. And I don't ever want to live in a world where I can't have cake. That's not <laughs> at all. That's, that's not my vibe. And so, of course, we can have a piece of cake. Do we need to eat the whole thing, the whole cake, right? That's where the level of self-sabotage happens. So the way that I work with shame and guilt and any of those unworthiness feelings is, I mean, of course, we do a lot of the inner child work because that's kind of where it starts. But it's about really trying to communicate and getting my clients to understand that, okay, so you don't feel good about yourself. What is that solving? Like, really, what does shame really solve? nothing. It doesn't do anything other than keeping you stuck. Right. And so we work with the inner bully, we work with the inner critic and we try and reframe some of that. You can't just like look in the mirror and be like, I'm skinny. I love myself. Like that's not going to feel authentic, but can we then create acceptance about where we're at and be like, my goodness, I'm so excited to be in a body. I really feel proud of to be in a body. I feel energetic and vivacious around. And so it's just kind of like, creating a bridge. And so making the gap less between where you are and where you want to be. But ultimately it's the shame, the guilt and the blame and all of those feelings that lead to the overeating to begin with. So that is like the number one thing we need to work on. 
Yeah, that's really good. I think it makes sense, right? I mean, everything seems to be about getting underneath these layers and going deeper to the root of it. Yeah, I'm just kind of curious with on your website, it's at over 350 women <laughs> that you've worked with. What seems to be the most common root of all the women that you have worked with? There's a lot of common threads, but I would say that if there has been any type of bullying as a child, specifically around weight, like that's a given. That shit stays with you. Sorry, I don't know if I can swear on here. That shit stays with you. Um, because again, as a child, like we're really looking about how to create our identity. We're looking at how do other people see me? I heard this amazing quote and it's like, I'm not who I think I am. I'm not who you think I am. I am who I think you think I am. And it really stuck with me because I was like, that's so true, especially in childhood. We're really looking to other people to understand who we are. And so when somebody tells us at a young age that we are overweight or unattractive or undesirable, we feel different. We feel separate. And once we feel separate, we will continually try and cope or we'll reject ourselves to keep attachment or reject ourselves to make ourselves feel lovable and to like fit in. And once we create that disconnect, it's very easy to overeat because we're not intuitive with anything. And so bullying is a huge one, but also the relationship to the mother is another really big one. Like if there isn't any like sexual assault or anything, it's really like the mother wound. How does mom see her body? Is mom always dieting? Does mom comment on your body? Like those are really common threads. Yeah. A lot of it does come down to what we learned at a young age. That's really cool that you brought that up, Jordana, and it kind of relates to this next question. I was just thinking before our call about the movie, The Whale, that just came out, like with Brandon Fraser. And yeah, I haven't seen it, but I heard it's like, oh, sorry, go on. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's one of the big ones this year, right? Yeah. How do women, well, not just women, but everyone, how do people protect themselves from this conflicting messaging that they might see in the media. You know, if you watch like a Victoria's Secret show and everyone's super thin or looks a certain way, and then kind of tying this in with everything we've been talking about. Yeah, it's a really hard question to answer because what I'm going to answer is based on my own experience. So this is not like a professional recommendation, but based on my own experience, I kind of got to a place where I was like, I don't have a choice but to learn to love myself because whatever I'm doing is so unbelievably self-destructive that it will be the end of me. And so it's like, of course, when you look at the Victoria's Secrets, you're like, damn, like, don't I wish I had a body? Like, of course there is that element. And I don't know if that will ever fully go away, but my relationship to myself and my body, as long as I know every day I'm waking up and I'm trying my best and I'm treating myself well, and I'm doing the self-care that I need to is just so much more valuable than having that six pack. And to be honest, also, because I do love movement, like I do love exercise, but even when my relationship to food was very healed and I was not restricting or not punishing with exercise or food, I did almost have a six pack. So it's not like you have to give that up fully, but to focus fully on perfectionism will only ever lead to control, will only ever lead to the reality that it's never going to be perfect. All I can say to everybody listening is that at the end of the day, life is too fucking short to spend it hating yourself. And so it really comes down to you have a choice. You can either like get behind yourself and do the work that you need to do to really bring up that self-worth, self-value. So you wake up every day and you feel fucking awesome. 
Or you can continue to think the way that you've always thought where it's never going to be enough. You're never going to be thin enough. You're never going to be pretty enough, whatever it is. Right. And so it just was more important to me because I honestly felt like if I didn't heal this part of me, it would be the end of me. I would ruin my life and my children's lives. Yeah. Mic drop moment right there. (laughs) You know, when I was working through this in my 20s, I mean, in my 30s, I don't give enough anymore about anything. You know, I feel like that's in the past. But I actually came to that very similar conclusion as you, Jordana. And for me, I saw some quote somewhere that said, you can't hate yourself into a version that you love, right? Yes. So I was like, well, what the hell am I doing? I didn't want to feel so reactive to other people because when I look at athletes and stuff now, I can feel a sense of admiration for the work that they've put into bodybuilding or something without that having to mean something about me. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't have to feel this sense of, oh, I have to look like that just because I see someone who was training for the Olympics, for example. And yeah, and I definitely think you have to make that decision in yourself, right? That, you know what, why am I doing this, right? This is, you know, I understand where this comes from within me, but it's not serving me. Did your aha moment, was it like a one moment or was it something that evolved over time? Oh, goodness. With my story, like it got to the point where I was suicidal. And at that point, I probably should have been like medicated. But it came to a point too, at that moment where I like lost all my friends, I had nothing left. And so I had a decision. I was really by myself. All of my biggest fears, all of my inner wounds like came crashing down. It was like this awful situation. And I had only two choices. It was like, end it or figure it out, do the work. And I'm so glad that I did. And I hope to God, it doesn't have to get to that place with anybody else. But it's so interesting what you said, because that is one thing that I've really noticed as a child. And even in my twenties, like I compared myself all the time. There was never a moment where I looked at somebody and didn't think like, what does that mean about me? Or am I thinner than that? And so now it's just so freeing to be able to be in the presence of other people, be able to like admire them and enjoy them and not have it exactly like you said, not have it mean anything about me. Yeah. I haven't ever heard it explained like that. And that was just exactly it. (laughs) Oh, I'm glad. It's nice to be on the other side, right? (laughs) Yes. And thank you so much for sharing that vulnerability. And thank goodness, it sounded like there was something very survival and primal inside you that was fighting to keep you alive, even despite the pains. And thank goodness you're with us here today, Jordana, and that you work through that rock bottom moment. But seriously, like I (laughs) say to my friends all the time, like it feels so good to be free of the comparison, right? Like I can still admire the Victoria's Secret models and I can admire other people too, but you're right. It doesn't have to mean something about you. And yeah, yeah, I love that. (laughs) That was all you, man. (laughs) That was amazing. Yeah, that's right. And so, you know, I know that you have kids yourself now. And I'm sure you've thought about how you communicate about body stuff to your kids because of the way that you had grown up. And so do you have any tips for other parents listening who are having that conversation with their children? 
Yeah. I am like determined to do a webinar, a free webinar. That's like how to not fuck up your kids. Because I think that this topic is so important. And the majority of the women that I work with are mothers. And of course, I'm going to attract that type of clientele because I am also a mother. So I think for me, especially just based on my personal history with food, it really starts with the narrative around food and also your narrative around your body. Like, of course, you know, you always see in the media when to compliment your children and not base it solely on appearance. I'm like half, half with that. I'm like, I don't think there's anything wrong with telling my son, Oh my gosh, you're so handsome. Or telling my daughter, like, Oh, you're so beautiful. Like, of course there are other traits that we like amplify, but I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think though, too, children are going to develop the narrative that you develop about yourself. It's kind of like, do as I say, not as I do, but the opposite. So in our household, it's very important that Chris and I, and my husband also has a lot of food issues. Like we found each other. He's my male counterpart. (laughs) So it's really important that both of us just speak really, really nicely about ourselves, our bodies. We amplify what the body does for us. So like at the end of the day, I do the same, like, oh, thank you, feet. I love you, feet. Like, thanks for for carrying me through a long day, right? And that type of stuff children really see and model. But when it comes to eating with kids, which I think is a really important topic, we never want to reinforce this clean plate club. Most of the people that are struggling with overeating tendencies grew up in a household where they had to finish their plate. And here's the crazy thing. We are all born with this very intuitive process to eat when you're hungry, to stop when you're full. Like I have a nine month old baby right now. I cannot overfeed the girl. Like there is no way. It doesn't matter if it's sweet. doesn't matter if it's salty. If it's she's done, she's done. And that very intuitive process lasts up until about the age of five. Around the age of five, we start to see kids like, I don't know what is happening in the cognitive development, but we start to see kids really prefer certain tastes, really like eat beyond what their actual true full signals. And so we want to come away from this clean plate club because no child is going to intentionally starve themselves. They might not want to eat the broccoli and they might want the cake. And that's totally understandable. And I'm not saying we can just like free for all, give kids whatever they want to eat, but we need to really stop this narrative of you can't leave the table unless you finish your plate. And so what I do with my kids is when my son's like, I don't want dinner and I hate broccoli. I'm like, no problem, sweetheart. It's going to stay right here. And whenever you're hungry, we'll heat it right back up. Sometimes it's like 8 p.m. and he has not had dinner and he's like, mommy, I'm hungry. And I'm like, perfect. Let's heat up your broccoli. It's right here for you. And he'll eat it. Right. And so I think parents are afraid that like, oh my gosh, my kid's not going to eat. Your kid is not going to starve themselves. Not intentionally, not unless there's some other disorder that is worth looking into like pica or like something neurologically that isn't necessarily sound. But yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah. I just had a core memory that unlocked in my brain as you said that. It's interesting you brought that up. So I don't know if this is like an Asian thing, but it sure was in my family. My parents really wanted me to finish every meal, right? Just like you said. And they made up the story that every single grain of rice that you leave, it's like one child will starve in Africa or something like that. It's terrible, right? But like I've heard from other families, their parents telling them something similar, like, oh, if you don't finish your plate, something bad's going to happen, right? Or someone's going to starve. What do you think of that? Yeah. And so like not (laughs) super dark. So basically what we're saying is like, deny yourself, reject your own needs, 
not only just to keep the peace with other people, but to help other people survive. Right. There's so much guilt there. There's so much shame there. And all that is really doing to the child is teaching them like, my needs are not important. The more that we don't listen to that intuitive signal, the less we hear it. And then we grow up and we're like, I don't even know how to eat properly without controlling it. Right. So it's just so interesting, but it's definitely not just an Asian thing. Yeah. You hear that all the time. You know, the starving children in Africa, but you know what I say with my clients, because food waste is a real problem. And I get that negative feedback all the time because I'm always like, you don't need to finish your plate. You don't need to finish your plate. Just throw it out, put it away. But people come at me all the time. Well, food waste. And I'm like, yeah, I hear you. But if you are already overweight to the point where you're unhappy with yourself, you know, you're not taking care of yourself. You finishing your plate is not solving world hunger at all. It's only just making you less intuitive, you the garbage can, et cetera. And so there needs to be this healthy balance. And eventually, when you learn that you don't need to finish your plate, you're going to take less food, right? So we don't need to be worried about throwing out food or anything like that. Yeah, that's very true. And I'm with you on that, I think. Obviously, put a portion on your plate that you're actually going to eat. But I mean, they've even looked at food shortage and the hunger issues in the world. It's not a lack of food. It has a lot more to do with systemic issues, distribution, et cetera. And, you know, I've thought about that too, Jordana. And I realized that the whole narrative of you must finish your plate, it came from a past where food was scarce, perhaps, right? You know, our parents, parents, the generations before, but we live in a very different world now where it's not the same, right? Food is actually very accessible. So it's really cool to see your take on that. Yeah. And with most of my clients, there is this kind of scarcity mentality around food. I've definitely talked about this before where it's very similar tendencies with like abundance mindset or scarcity mindset with money and abundance mindset and scarcity mindset with food. Because reality is most of the people in my network are not anywhere close to being starving, like at all, right? But there still is this hoarding tendency around food or scarcity feelings around food. And it really just comes from, I mean, of course, like my mom grew up in the Great Depression. That's how it was for her. She was starving, literally. And so now there's always food in the house. There's an overconsumption, but she's passed that on to me. I'm never not going to have access to food. Like at one point of my finger, I can have whatever I want, literally in the entire GTA at my front door in a matter of moments. (laughs) And I think that people forget that, right? They're like, oh, this is my favorite thing. So I better have all of it right now because I'm never going to have it again. And that's just not true. Like if you wanted to, you could have it tomorrow and the next day. And really teaching my clients to move from that scarcity to abundance mindset is how they kind of unlock that food freedom. It's like one component to it. Because if things feel scarce, you're going to want to overconsume. That's the way that the brain works. Exactly. Yeah. Bringing it all back to abundance and scarcity. <laughs> it's so interesting, right? I mean, food, all the time we're thinking about food, like we eat it constantly throughout the day and it can cause so much turmoil for folks. Jordan, I could talk to you forever. <laughs> We'll probably have to do a part two at some point, but we are coming to the end of today. So I wanted to ask you, what's your best advice for somebody listening right now who really resonates with this message and knows that, hey, there's some healing work that I need to do around my eating habits? What's one word of advice on how to get started? Honestly, I'm going to take your quote, I think. You can't hate your way to a body that you love, right? And so if you've done diets and you've gained it back, it didn't work. It's not your fault. There's nothing wrong with you. 
it's the system of diets, right? Instead of thinking that the diet failed me, you think I failed it. And so what I'd like to say is that there's nothing wrong with you and that as you heal your relationship to yourself, you will heal your relationship to food. So good. So, so good. And at the end of the day, it's about being healthy, right? And being aligned with yourself and your choices. Jordana, do you have anything to offer the audience, like any place that they can find you online? Absolutely. So, I mean, I am not a super tech savvy person, but I am on Instagram. That's the one social media outlet that I really do know how to use. It's just my name, Jordana Sade. I'm also on TikTok. Again, like I'm learning there. So like, welcome. (laughs) And on my website, I have two free things. So I have a free weight loss hypnosis. It really focuses on your relationship to food and less about like, oh my gosh, we're losing this huge thing of weight. I also offer a free ebook to find food and weight freedom. So both of those resources are on there. And I offer a free 25 minute call if that's something you feel called to do. Beautiful. And I love Jordana. She is a amazing human being. So I would absolutely trust anybody who finds their way to your page. I love your Instagram. I love all your stuff. So there you have it. Gloria. From Gloria. (laughs) And I'm coming on your show next week. I'm so excited. excited. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me, Gloria. This has been such an honor. Oh, you're welcome. We'll drop the links in the show notes below. Thank you so much for your time, your stories, and your expertise coming on here and sharing your knowledge with us. This was wonderful. If you love this episode, please hit subscribe and give us a five-star review. It really helps me a lot, so thank you. To join the community and get your daily dose of inner child tips, follow me on Instagram and social media at ByGloriaZang or visit ByGloriaZang.com. If you're a high achiever or an entrepreneur who wants to work with me, message me the words high achiever and I'll get in touch. Thanks, bestie. See you in the next one. Thanks for tuning in, bestie. I've got something for you. If you think this show deserves a five-star review, we'll send you my free inner child starter kit as a thank you for your support which contains exclusive wallpapers and resources for you to download. To get your kit, just upload a screenshot of your review on Apple or Spotify to my webpage, bygloriazang.com reviews. The link is also in the show notes. There, you can also check out my healing sessions and programs at bygloriazang.com. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and I will meet you in the next episode. Mwah!